Hey, good day, fellas. Welcome to Uncensored Advice for Men. This is one of those kind of shows where you're having a chat with someone and you go, hold on, hold on. Let me hit record because what you just said was pretty interesting. So, fellas, let's introduce Mr. Dan to the show. Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be with you, Josh. Yeah. So I know you weren't fully prepared for this, but you said something and I'm like, we got to hit record. Got your permission. Let's dive in. You said something that really hit me. And I want you to repeat what you said, and then we'll dive into the topic. Well, what I said was that evangelical Christianity is sucking the testosterone out of men. Oh, that sounds like an interesting topic. What do you mean by that? So let's, before you dive into what do you mean by that, tell us a little bit about you know, who you are okay. and, and some of the things you're focused on right now. Okay. Well, um, I've grown up in the church. I grew up as a Presbyterian, uh, probably more Baptist now, at least in terms of church affiliation. Uh, went to a free Methodist university for my undergraduate, a Jesuit university for my graduate school in business. And so you can kind of call me anything you want to. Um, but I do classify myself anymore as just, just a simple follower of Jesus. And um, which tends to um, unencumber me from the denominational religious stuff. Um, I'm uh, I've served on the boards of of um, several Christian organizations, uh, missionary agencies. Currently, um, actually, as of a month ago, I was named board chair of the uh, advisory board for the Salvation Army here in Seattle, Washington. Very cool. All right, so. Background in, I mean, you you you've been in all levels of education for for the uh, church, and you're you're seeing something now that you you feel is uh, we're doing a disservice to men. You said the evangelical world is sucking the testosterone out of men. Mm-hmm. Let's dive into that. This is fun. yeah, yeah. So basically, um, evangelical Christianity wants to make men nice. Um, as institutionally, they don't want us to be innovative. They don't want us to be, um, they really don't, they really don't even want us to use our brains. Um, they, they're more interested in being nice than being dangerous. And when I just, the, the, I grew up recognizing that understanding Jesus as this little shepherd guy walking around with fluffy sheep on his shoulders on a flannel graph when I was in kindergarten. And um, uh, I'm trying to think of my kindergarten Sunday school teacher's name, which Mrs. Bauer was great with a flannel graph. And so I grew up kind of with that, that image of Jesus is he's just this wonderful person that everybody just wants to, you know, saddle up to and get warm and fuzzy with. Um, but the more, actually what happened was several years ago, I decided to read the Gospels, not for context, not for what I thought the Gospels were trying to tell me, but to get to know the person, to get to know the person of Jesus. And I made it about halfway through Matthew, and I got mad because I realized I had bought um, a load of crap about who Jesus was. He was a dangerous guy. He threatened everybody. He threatened the worldviews of everybody he met. Um, he got angry. 
In fact, twice, he got really angry. Now, I dare anybody, and, you know, my world is the evangelical church, so that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, Don't anybody ever get mad in the evangelical world because they will be labeled, you know, outcasts. They will be labeled all kinds of bad names. And I think it not only is it bad theology, it's a bad way to live. So, all right, you said two times in the Bible, this guy named Jesus. So I, I grew up too. Now, um, this is a podcast, so people are just listening in. Mm-hmm. But behind me is a green screen in our mm-hmm. studio. It's a beautiful and, green screen too. Thanks. I appreciate it. You know, a little like, wrinkly. You know, I ironed it. <laughs> I have an iron. I just don't know how to use it. I haven't used that since ROTC days. So uh, we had a – in Sunday school, they would set up these little green – flannel things and they would have Mm -hmm. these pictures of jesus where he's Mm -hmm. always smiling and happy Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. six-pack abs and Mm -hmm. and uh and you you said that you know the the jesus that was taught is this super friendly guy but you said there's a few spots in the bible where jesus was dangerous Mm -hmm. and he got super angry Mm -hmm. walk us through those two things that's it's interesting well you know uh i one of my favorite parables is um uh you know, the parable of the, of the lost son, the wayward son. And yet, uh, and in that parable, I have, I have no personal um, affiliation for um, the, 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 the lost son. I have enormous affiliation for the older brother. I am the classic older brother. I am the guy who did everything right. I obeyed my father, obeyed my mother. I honored them. I obeyed all of the rules. And so I grew up believing that if I obey the rules and do everything I'm supposed to do, that therefore God is supposed to bless me with something. And in my, in my thinking, well, that's, it may not be financial uh, wealth, but it's certainly going to be a lot of recognition and reward. Um, but in that parable, that parable is actually one in, out of three. Um, I think the first one is the parable of the lost sheep. Second one is the parable of the lost coin, and those may be reversed. And then there's the parable of the prodigal son. Um, You read those things just for sort of a high-level, broad-brush overview, and you realize that Jesus was essentially putting a hot poker stick into the eyeballs of the Pharisees. He was – I'm not sure if he was trying to make them mad. But he was doing everything he could to uh, make sure that they understood that they were coming up short on what they were supposed to be doing. And uh, if they're, in fact, my pastor was talking about this several weeks ago, and he said, he, he made the comment, there is the lang- that language in, in there is language that, um, I think he used the word argumentative, something like that. It's designed <laughs> to be dangerous. It's designed to challenge the, 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 the religious leadership. And I think actually make them mad. Wow. So <laughs> from when I was a kid, you know, one long of the time ago, was long, Hey, watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm almost 40. It feels no, like I'm still a kid. R- really old. I was literally running in the field with my son. I have a four-year-old son, eight-year-old mm-hmm. daughter, four-year-old son, and mm-hmm. uh, 20-month-old daughter. 
Congratulations. Somehow when you asked me how many kids I had, I said four. So mm-hmm. there might be another one out there. I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> I found myself sprinting in a field still thinking mm-hmm. that I'm 20 years old. Mm-hmm. So, but it's not the case. But uh, what, where the heck was I going with this, Dan? I think we were talking about Jesus made people mm-hmm. mad. Okay. Mm-hmm. So ever since I was a kid, one of the things that they would say is stop arguing, stop mm-hmm. fighting, be mm-hmm. nice, play mm-hmm. nice with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I grew up pretty mm-hmm. much saying, be a good kid, play nice, mm-hmm. don't yep. fight, don't argue. Mm-hmm. Is that dangerous? Um, it's, it's not dangerous, but um, when we grow up that the idea that if we're good boys and girls that therefore God will bless us. And if we're bad, uh, bad boys and girls, then God's not going to bless us. Um, I think we set God up to be a, a glorified Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and uh, as try as I may, I never, when I read the new Testament, when I read the gospels and especially the old Testament, um, I mean, one of the things that irritates the daylights out of me, if if I sit in church and I listen to the music and I listen to um, my pastor and other pastors, invariably I come away with this idea that God's um, God's number one purpose for existence is to make me happy, to make me um, well, to make me whole, um, and that he exists for my benefit. And yes, there's an element of truth to that. Um, but I am not the center of the universe. He is. Um, I have been bought with his blood, not my own. Therefore, he is my master. And uh, I think in the church today, we have totally lost that um, understanding that if we are followers of Jesus, like he told Peter, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. By the way, it might cost you your life. <laughs> we're going to go catch men with fishing poles and I might die from it. Like, what, what the heck were you meaning, right? When, yeah. When he's saying, I'm going to make you fishers of men and you're probably going to die from this. Like, all right. So let's, let's go, like, moving forward, you, you were saying that Jesus was a, a dangerous man he argued with people he nicely he argued with people yeah and people were willing to kill him you know like Mm -hmm. the jesus that i think Mm -hmm. that we were taught in sunday school Mm -hmm. was this guy who's like oh everybody play nice right don't make people mad you'll get canceled (laughs) no one's no one's gonna kill that guy no No one's gonna gonna crucify him yeah what did he do that made people so mad they were willing to nail him to a cross and beat the crap out of him and kill him? What he, cha- would- he challenged their sense of power. He challenged, he challenged their worldview. He challenged everything about him. Um, you know, the, the only people that I see that he did not directly challenge were the poor, the lepers, and the lame, and the blind. Everybody else he pushed the boundaries of their worldview. He pushed the boundaries of their religion. Um, he, um, uh, you know, he made the Pharisees feel and understand um, not just the limitations, but the, 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 
He challenged their sense of power and who they were. He said, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the parable of, of, um, of the Good Samaritan. I mean, it's a wonderful story of this guy walking down the street and finds this dude laying there and takes him off and puts him in a, in a, a house, you know, let's call it a hospital um, and pays for his way. And it's a wonderful story. But what if I'm, if I'm a Jewish leader hearing that story, what am I supposed to think? You're not supposed to be dealing with Samaritans. You're dirty. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus, this guy, Jesus is calling me out on it. So if Jesus were around today, Mm. what would he be doing that the culture of today would be flipping out? Well, I think he'd be doing the same thing with um, most of our, let, let, let me say, um, not our evangelical institutions, but the whole idea of evangelicalism. Um, he'd be talking to evangelicals the same way you talk to the Pharisees. And, and he'd be saying maybe something like this. Um, you, you uh, here in the United States of America, I get the fact that you love, I love this, you love your country. That's fine. But uh, I didn't call you to build the kingdom of the US of A. I called you to build the kingdom of God. What are you doing? And I think uh, just that understanding itself would say, a, there's a lot of leaders who would go, yeah, it's a good idea. Um, but we re, were really concerned about the culture of, of, of our country. And Jesus would say, I didn't come to save the culture of the country. I came to save you and build a kingdom that based on the Lord's prayer in, in, in Matthew, what is it, Matthew 5 or 6, says, Jesus said, pray this way, that God's kingdom will come and that his will would be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. It says nothing about saving the culture of the United States of America. <laughs> so who would want... If, if uh, Jesus were present here, like mm-hmm. physically present, mm-hmm. who would want to crucify him? Who would be so pissed that they would want to have him murdered or suicided or, you know, uh, who, who, would, who would do Jesus in today? Yeah, well, I'm not sure anybody would actually kill him, but there's a whole lot of people that would want to marginalize him. Yeah. Um, and I, I, to be perfectly frank, I think there's a whole lot of, um, this might get me in trouble, there's a whole lot of evangelical leaders and, and just more broadly religious leaders who would, who would certainly want to marginalize him, certainly want to say, you know, this guy, um, he's not really the real deal. He's, um, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's preaching, he's preaching this way. And the reality is um, uh, you don't want to listen to him because uh, you might, he's going to get you in trouble. Um, he might take you down a path that's not healthy. Um, you know, there's this, uh, there's this war going on and he may want you to go to war and you may die. Is that really what you want? And I think as followers, we have to say, if that's where Jesus wants me to go, that's where I'm going to go. How do we, so with, with this, right? So Jesus would, Definitely 
buck up against things that we were taught, right? Like mm-hmm. that we have programmed in us. Mm-hmm. And you, you feel that uh, the, the evangelical church is sucking the testosterone out of men. Mm-hmm. In what ways? Okay. Specifically. So um, there's a uh, – and I've been a part of this, um, and, and fundamentally I don't have a problem with it. Um, men are supposed to be terrific husbands, terrific fathers, love their wives, serve their wives, take care of their family, take care of their children, all of which is wonderful. I don't have any problem with that. But let me, let me tell you about a conversation I had not too long ago. Um, so pre-COVID, um, I uh, volunteered uh, twice a month at a local prison. And um, I like to say we, we, get, we got to hang out with some of the finest felons that God ever put breath into. <laughs> and these guys that were, and as we're, we're working with them in a theological training program. And uh, that's really terrific, actually. And, um, and these guys are in for long-term sentences. Um, we don't know. We're not asked, allowed to even ask why they're there. But occasionally it comes out. And they're there for things like murder. And they're sex offenders. And I'm assuming there's, you know, people that have done, you know, significant issues with, with drugs and et cetera. Um, there's guys that have been in for 20 years and they may never get out. Um, so I was telling a guy that I know, and I was, I was asking him, I said, hey, why don't you come and join us? Why don't you, you join this team that's going up there? And um, his first question was, and he was dead serious. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't kidding. He said, uh, well, isn't that kind of dangerous? And my initial reaction was, well, no, not really, because there's guards all over the place. And, and their first priority, if something happens, is to protect the, the volunteers. But the more I've got, and I've had that same kind of, of reaction several times. Well, gosh, that's really like way out there, you know, yeah. spending time with, with, with murders and child molesters. Um, and yet, first of all, do I trust God? Does God call me to visit men, if I was a woman or a woman, in prison? You can't read the Gospels, you can't read the book of Isaiah, and not come away with the idea that men and women in prison are in the heart of God. Yet how many of us have ever visited somebody in prison? The way Jesus talks about it, it ought to be normative. And most of the time we see it as, well, that's prison ministry. That's kind of way out there on the fringes. The way Jesus talks about it, it ought to be normative. Matthew 25, he says, and there's various ways of slicing and dicing the theology. But Matthew 25 says that somehow, some way, the way I treat people who are poor, who don't have enough clothes, and are sitting in prison, somehow my eternal destiny, how I, how I, how I live out eternity is going to be dependent on how many times I visit someone in prison. Um, I was, uh, that really came home to me several years ago when I was visiting a, um, actually as a college buddy, a guy I knew in college, and he's sitting in a, in a Nevada state penitentiary for um, uh, a long time. And um, 
I, I got down there one early one morning, got inside. And as soon as I got inside in this visiting area, they, they closed, they locked the whole prison down. No one was getting in. No one was getting out. I was sitting in this great big visiting room, basically by myself. And about an hour and a half later, um, Peter, my friend, he comes running in and uh, he's apologizing. And he said, oh, they, they, they shut the whole place down. And uh, I said, well, how did you even know I was here? And he explained to me that, that at, the, at the time he worked in the law office of the, of the prison. So he, he basically had the run of the entire complex. He can go any place he wanted to, but just because he worked in the law office. He said, um, he said the one thing that everybody respects inside a prison, or at least that one, is a visit. He said, um, I had guys telling me, hey, Peter get out of here. You got to visit. He said, most of these guys, I, he said, a lot of them, I, I wouldn't trust for nothing, but because they heard that I have a visit, they said, get out of here, go, go, go spend time with your, with your visitor. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when it really struck me when Jesus said, visit the prisoner. He didn't say save them. He didn't say, you know, make them whole, healthy, perfect human beings. He said, go spend time with them and do it in my name. And when you do it in my name, by the way, you're going to be doing it as if it was me. So you have to come away with the idea that people sitting in prison, and if you want to expand that to include bondage, which could be moral bondage, spiritual bondage, any other kind of bondage, that's fine. But at some point, you got to say, working with people who are in bondage, who are in prison, is a normative part of following Jesus. And if you're not doing that, I got to say, you know, you might try going back and reading your Bible. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus, you know, what kind of disciples did Jesus say he wanted? He wanted obedient ones. What you're describing is, is a, like, just like the prisoner said to you, isn't this, isn't this dangerous? Now mm -hmm. let's let's change the word dangerous to to mean a few let's let's use a few other things. Okay. Isn't that uncomfortable? Right? Sitting there with mm -hmm. a with a child molester. Mm -hmm. Right? Now let's not guys in the audience, myself included, mm -hmm. like let's just not pass judgment for a second on mm -hmm. whether it's right or wrong, naughty or nice, mm -hmm. or these sins are worse than these things. Mm -hmm. Let's just mm -hmm. let's just put our judgment up on the shelf for a second. Mm -hmm. Hard to do. Hard to do. How uncomfortable is it sitting with someone who's dangerous mm -hmm. or there, they, there, there might be maybe a few wires that are sparking out and, and it's causing the machine to malfunction and they, they do things mm -hmm. that we might not agree with. How hard is that to sit with them and visit them? How uncomfortable, how dangerous, how awkward, how fearful uh, am I? Actually, it's a um... – when I'm driving to that prison, I'm usually driving, you know, if I was from my office to drive to that prison on a good day, it should take no more than 25 minutes because I happen to leave, you know, at 4.15, 4.30, I'm fighting traffic. It takes me anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half. So most of the time when I'm driving there, I'm thinking, do I really want to be doing this? Um, and when I'm driving home, I'm thinking, I just spent two and a half of the most amazing hours I can imagine. So, um, 
I tell you, there's one story. I was I had I had led a, a conversation about our identity in Jesus with this. There were about 15 um, guys in the room, plus plus the team I was with, and I'd led this 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 discussion about identity. And so we were having this a small group discussion. And I'm sitting at this table, and um, you know, having some of the, the basic conversations around our, our identity in Jesus that you and I might have. If we're you know sitting in church someplace. And um, those kind of conversations generally irritate me a little bit because it's like, okay, let's get honest and let's get real. So finally I said, so how does, how does your identity in Jesus, what does that mean to you sitting in this institution and forever, whatever reason you're here, what does that mean? And this one guy looked at me and he's a, I mean, he's a brilliant guy and he's really, really smart. He's actually teaching himself Hebrew, um, which I don't even imagine, understand how you do that. But he looks at me and he says, Dan, my identity in Jesus is the only thing that I have to hang on to. He said, inside this prison, I am called an offender. My identity is that of an offender. Um, He said, I'm not called by my name. I'm called by the name offender. He said, outside, my identity is that of of a molester. He said, understanding my identity in Jesus is the only thing that I have to hang on to. And then he looks at me and says, Dan, frankly, I don't know how you do it. Meaning, I don't know how you capture your identity in Jesus with, you know, not having everything stripped away from you. So I walk away from those kind of conversations thinking, These guys have a perspective. These guys understand the grace of God in ways that I will never be able to comprehend. Wow. So walking through, walking through that, right? So if someone goes, you know, we started out our conversation. You're like, so tell me who is Josh? What did I go Mm -hmm. to? I I go, I'm a husband. I'm a father. Mm -hmm. Right. So Mm -hmm. I started with one of my core values, my family, Mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, you know, I'm, I, I love God. I love people. Mm -hmm. I like deals. Right. So Mm -hmm. I I started Mm -hmm. to get into what Mm -hmm. I do. What do you do? Right. Right. You meet someone, you go, Hey, my name's Josh. What do you do? What do you do? I hate that question, but Mm -hmm. you know, it just leads into our identity. So wrapped up in, Mm-hmm. things what if right. you do something really naughty like touch mm-hmm. someone you're not supposed to at mm-hmm. a, you know maybe a uh at, at an age range that is super bad mm-hmm. like is that mm-hmm. is that that guy's identity now mm-hmm. holy crap right even if he never gets caught his identity is radically changed even if he never gets caught how many of us out there are hiding from something we've never been caught from, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't even have to be like that. Mm-hmm. And we're all hiding from our, something. We're all hiding from something. Mm-hmm. And where is our identity? Mm-hmm. Huh. So let's go back to sucking the testosterone out of men. Mm-hmm. What needs to change? So, I mean, that that's a, a really interesting graphic way mm-hmm. to think about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. What needs to change? Well, I, I think there's a number of things, and um, boy, you're, you're somewhat putting me on the spot since I <laughs> hadn't been thinking specifically about this when I got up this morning. Yeah. But um, you know, it, 
in church. I would I would love for um you know instead of going to church people say how you doing and and, and oh I'm fine. Um there's places to do this, you know, things like celebrate recovery and 12 step programs. And there's a lot of men's groups that I think are, are doing a terrific job of helping men just vocalize their secrets mm. and, and, and to come out of those secrets. Um, and that, that's actually where I started. Um, I started out um, several years ago in a celebrate recovery program and, and over time uh, went had to be public with my own secrets. Um, and I had plenty um, uh, going back a long ways. So that's, that's one thing. But unfortunately, most of us in the church think that 12-step programs are for those people. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the drug addicts, the, al- the alcoholics, the, the porn addict, the, the whatever addict. The reality is, I think everybody needs a 12-step program or some version of it. Um, the, the first time, actually, I think it was one of the first, yeah, it was the first time I walked into celebrate recovery in my church. I was walking in and, um, you know, I've been going and attending this church for a long time and often and right in front of me, when I walk in the door, I see four gentlemen, three of whom were elders, all four of whom I knew. And they looked at me and I looked at them and I was looking for, um, you know, one of those slices underneath the carpet that I could sort of slide into <laughs> Yeah, because they knew I wasn't there to see them. And I knew that I wasn't there to see, or, and they knew I, um, that, you know, they weren't there to see me. And so there's only one other place that I can go, which was walk in the door and turn right and go to the celebrate recovery program. And I am scared to death thinking, well, they're going to be wondering, why am I here? Um, but the reality is that ought to be normative, but um, we, I, I, I honestly, you know, we, we come to Jesus in a moment of salvation or in a path of salvation. As soon as we have that relationship, this thing called sanctification, we sort of turn around and say, oh, I got that covered, God. Don't worry about me. I'll take care of that myself. And I think Jesus says, well, how's that, how's that working for you, son? Um, and the reality is that uh, uh, sanctification really is a process of dealing with secrets, making them clean, um, coming to grips with them, and um, uh, becoming more and more like the person of Jesus. Now, to do that, um, frankly, I don't, I don't, I don't consider myself a man of great courage, but, um, the first time, you know, I went into a, a, a 12 step, you know, a, a celebrate recovery group, I was scared to daylights out of the, I mean, I was, I was petrified. What are they going to, you know, the first time I say, hi, my name is Dan. And, um, I struggle with, uh, 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 and I can't get, in my case, it was pornography. I can't get it out of my mouth. Um, but the, the reality is it takes courage to do that. And then when everybody else in the group says, 
Hi, Dan. Welcome. That's the standard 12-step thing. What they are telling me is, Dan, thank you for sharing that. Welcome to our group. Welcome mm -hmm. to the rest of humanity. And um, nothing could be more um, wonderful than to admit your deepest, darkest, darkest secrets and have a group of men say, welcome, join us. We're in this thing together. And uh, yet how many of us do that? Maybe with one or two, but you know, when I, when I think of the church as being a place of healing, uh, the idea of, of being involved in, and I'm, and I'm not selling CR or anything else like that, but just the idea of being involved with a group like that. Um, it's, we think of it too much as for those people and not for all of us. And as long as it's for those people, then I'm putting myself on a pedestal that does not exist. So Dan, what this was a impromptu call, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I, I really appreciate some of these like impromptu things. You know, my, my schedules are, are typically nine to nine to five, meeting after meeting, podcast interview. Mm -hmm. We're we're pumping out a lot of these. Mm -hmm. uh, but this was a hey, we're, you, what you said was really cool. Let me share this with other guys. So I, I appreciate your courage to share openly and to just hit record and roll with it. So kudos on you. And you're, you're probably a guy who likes control. You're probably a guy who likes, you know, like to be prepared. I like but being I, prepared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you, you showed up real well and I'm, and I'm thankful for that work. If guys are listening in, they go, you know what, what you said, like really hit me and uh, would like to know maybe more, mm -hmm. where could people go to connect with you, find out what you're working on and maybe get more involved with that. Well, um, uh, my, my website is danieleds.com, D-A-N-I-E-L-E-D-D-S. Um, you're not going to find anything about what we just talked about. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I absolutely believe that um, as men, we have a far bigger role in building the kingdom of God than, than going to church and being nice. And, um, uh, you know, one of the things I, I, I love about serving, I'm on the board of the Salvation Army, is besides the fact that I get to hang out with some incredible people, um, you know, I get, to, I get to see the impact of men and women who are courageous enough to give up the usual trappings of power and prestige and work in the trenches with people who don't always smell good. Um, and they're, sometimes they're really cranky and they're angry. Um, and uh, one of the things, every time I go into a prison, I kind of have the same feelings like oh, they're going to put me in here if I do something wrong. But when I'm walking out, you know, we're walking through multiple security doors and, on, and we're walking through security gates, chain link fences, 10, I don't know, 10, 12 feet tall with multiple strands of razor wire on top. And I, I'm, and I look every time I look at those, that those strands of razor wire, I think, you know, the spirit of God is not slowed down a bit. That razor wire doesn't slow him down a bit. And, um, 
I think God calls us every day to work with dangerous people, people who may, who might, we might think as dangerous, you know, when, um, uh, inviting a neighbor to dinner who might be of a different tradition. How about their Muslim or their Hindu? Do you know that like 85%, uh, I think it's 85% of Muslims and Hindus do not know a Christian. Wow. Um, that ought to capture the attention of every one of us who say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh, do you know a Muslim? Do you know a Christian? If you're white, do you, do you have a friend who's African-American? I mean, a friend who's African-American that maybe you have reached out to. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the most compelling relationships I have right now is with a guy. I've known him for a long time, but I've only known him well for a few years. Um, a few years ago, um, I'd read a couple of books and uh, I call him up and say, hey, can we have breakfast? And so uh, we met at a local breakfast stop on a shop on a Saturday morning. And I said, Jerry, tell me what it's like to raise a family in an urban environment as an African-American man. And this guy, he's a U.S. veteran of the Air Force. He's been, this, been married to the same one for almost 50 years. He's raised three kids sent five or six grandkids through college. Um, I asked him that question at 8.30 in the morning. Uh, two hours and 45 minutes later, I said, Jerry, we got to go. They're trying to serve lunch. <laughs> and um, uh, he brings me a perspective that um, I would never have had if I hadn't said, Jerry, can we have breakfast? And um, you know, we talk a lot about racial reconciliation and all that kind of stuff, all of which is great. At some point, reconciliation comes down to, Josh, why don't you go find a friend who's African-American? Have him explain to you what it's like to grow up as a black man in a majority white culture. Um, and frankly, because of that relationship, I've had to change a lot of my opinions politically, socially, religiously, et cetera. And um, uh, frankly, I'm ashamed of some of my attitudes that I used to have and maybe still, maybe still have to some extent. But um, uh, we got to get over that stuff. And uh, um, have have the the courage to put shoe uh, uh, you know shoe leather to what we what we preach about. Very cool, Daniel. Thanks for coming on the show, sharing that, guys. Uh, as always, I say reach out to our guests and say thank you. Uh, we'll include uh, Dan's website. So uh, even though he doesn't speak specifically about this stuff if what he said resonates with you you want to connect and have a further conversation or check out his business and the things that he's doing and in, in leadership and culture and and uh, some of the books that he's written and some of the things that he's doing uh go to the show notes you'll be able to connect directly there but just say thank you and then find a way to uh connect with our guests uh so then hope you guys are having a great day talk to you on the next episode see you guys <laughs>